Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Hello, and thank you so much for being part of the broadcast today. We need you. I'm, I'm aiming right for your heart and your mind and your strength so that we can do the Lord's work and bring an end to abortion, and that we might be his chosen instrument, his church, to do that. Big, ambitious goal. I think we're up for the task if the Lord is with us, who can be against us. I am your host, Kim Katola, and today I want to go right to the heart of the purpose of this program. We are, you know, in the past, I am a person who has recovered in Christ after abortion, repented, been fully restored, and now have the joy to be able to comfort others and also to exhort and warn others and to be able to speak about it freely because God has completely lifted the shame of it. And that is something that he will do for anyone who comes to him in full repentance. And I encourage you, go to cradlemyheart.org and check the resource page if you need that. There are people waiting to help you with that whole process. Um, And I did that for a lot of years. That was my focus, was on getting people well, telling people the good news, that the cross is for you, that redemption and forgiveness is for you, even after abortion. But now I'm in a different phase. I still will always proclaim that, and I still, you know, will help you personally if you want to send me an email or text me. All the contact information is there at cradlemyheart.org as well, and in full confidentiality. So if please, if you need help personally, do reach out. But the emphasis for this program is helping pastors and church leaders so that we can be the church on this issue. We can bring an end to abortion And we can bring healing to those for whom the message arrived too late, that it is a sin and that it is something that um, will impact your life forever and will forever change you. So I have an an article that I want to share, and I'm going to go through it in a great uh, detail because it is so well put together. You know, I have interacted with pastors ever since my redemption. I had a supernatural experience of knowing that my child is safe with the Lord in heaven. And I wanted to affirm that in Scripture, because the Scriptures don't really tell us what happens to babies when, who die before baptism, or before having a chance to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted to talk with my pastor about it. 
And since then, we've moved many, many times, my husband and I, and we try not to church hop, although we've done a lot of church sampling as we've moved each time. And I always try to interact with pastors around this question and around his approach, you know, his individual approach in his church. So I've, I've engaged with a lot of pastors, and I see that there are many, 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 many reasons why pastors are silent on abortion. And so this article is uh, the most common reasons that pastors give for not preaching about abortion. But what I love about it is it has some solutions in hand as well. All right, so let's just dive right in. And the number one reason identified, and this is, by the way, I'll put a a link to this in the podcast notes and on our website at cradlemyheart.org. But this is from the Respect Life Office of St. Joseph's Church in Kansas City. And number one is the personality or perception of the pastor. And you might hear things like, well, I don't want to be associated with the negative stereotypes of a typical pro-lifer, which is what? That you're out in front of an abortion facility carrying a sign yelling at women, that you are thumping your Bible and you don't really care about anything other than saving a baby. Uh, I'm not sure what that negative stereotype of a typical pro-lifer is, but the truth is that there are eccentrics in every movement, and there's there are fringe factions in every movement. The pro-life movement is the largest grassroots movement in the history of the United States, and so that's no different. The pro-life movement, however, more fully Uh, reflects the rich diversity of American society than the pro-abortion movement does. And I think this is really true. One of the ways in which I've seen this to be true is that it is the place where the answer of Jesus, his high priestly, his, the answer to Jesus's high priestly prayer in John's gospel, that they might be one as you and I, my father, are one. I see Christians of all denominations, Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical, all coming together, even with people of no faith, around this movement. And so if you want to really see how God has fulfilled and answered that prayer of Jesus, you will find it in the pro-life movement. The only other place where I've seen such unity of believers is in uh, prison ministry. And I think it's because in both of these causes, the needs are so great, and we know we have the answer in Christ. So a key role of the pastor is to foster the gifts of the believers, encouraging them to use those gifts to transform society. Now, that's not the only purpose for the gospel. The gospel is to save sinners, but there is this transformative role. And furthermore, it's very much in your power as a pastor to strengthen the pro-life movement by bringing into it as many people as possible, including professionals in every field, and let those be the louder voices rather than the fringe elements, right? I mean, this involves identifying those in your congregation who have the kind of leadership skills that can be effectively applied in the pro-life movement. So if we call for such individuals to take their part in local leadership, They will likewise attract others who can bring experience and professionalism to the movement. However, if there's a vacuum and you never call anyone to action in this way, excuse me, and you never call anyone to action in this way, um, guess what might happen? Well, first of all, you're, you're ceding the field to the eccentrics and those negative stereotypes are going to persist. And in the case of many of neighborhood churches, 
they ought to be partnering with other church ministries to be the pro-life movement in the neighborhood. You know, John Enzer has said on this program that abortion isn't happening only down in Washington, D.C., where everything's getting decided by law. It's happening in our neighborhoods. And so it's up to us to provide the answer in our local churches, and working together has got to make us stronger than working alone. Nobody is exempt from the call to be a pro-lifer. What, after all, is the alternative? If you are neutral, sorry, you are supporting abortion rights. Uh, Let's look at another one. I don't want to be seen as confrontational. Well, being confrontational is not the same as being unloving or uncharitable. Our Lord, who ate with sinners, also confronted them, and we know this. Love sometimes demands confrontation because it cannot rest if the beloved is entangled in evil, right? I mean, love seeks the good of the beloved, and this means it has to get tough at times to extricate the beloved from evil. Many think of the price of confrontation, but forget that there's also a price to be paid for not confronting. And the price is that evil continues to flourish. Relationships become shallow and superficial, and true leadership vanishes because the leader is no longer able to point out the right path and will himself eventually lose the respect of those who look to him for guidance. Successful social reform movements, moreover, always confronted an unwilling culture by exposing the injustices they were fighting. A careful study of the civil rights movement provides just one such example. Excuse me. And again, I would say, you know, the main purpose here for us as the church is not to be a social justice movement. There are all kinds of problems when churches make that an emphasis over the gospel. But but the point here is that there is a movement in place and we can bring salt and light to it. And not only can we do so, but we are called to do so. We are called to rescue the weak, the vulnerable, those being led away to death. This is one of the primary missions of the church in the world. All right, so let's look at another. I do not want to let or appear as though I'm letting my personal agenda interfere with the word of God or the liturgy for those that are still engaged in very traditional and formal worship. Well, (laughs) in defending innocent children from death and reaching out in practical charity to help pregnant women in need is simply uh, a personal agenda. How can that not be the church's agenda? I mean, really, Randy Alcorn has pointed out that the the reality of legal abortion has created widows and orphans. I mean, these children are fatherless. Fathers have no parental rights in the lives of their pre-born children. Many people can't accept that. They don't believe it's true. They're going to challenge me and fact-check me. But fact-check away. (laughs) Fathers have no legal standing in the lives of their children before they're born. And this includes married fathers who have tried to prevent their children being aborted by their wives. And there are at least eight court cases where it's been decided that men have no legal standing in the rights of their unborn children. So if you think about that, uh, how, how how can we as the church abide that, first of all, you know, that we know what God's plan for marriage and motherhood and fatherhood is. How can we abide a law that strips men of that role? 
you know, Scripture makes it clear that if we if we deny the demands of justice, we can't really call it worship. You know, God has said, I, I'm tired of your sacrifices in Isaiah. Practice justice and mercy, right? And so it's extremely unjust to kill children before they're born, which is what abortion does. It's also unjust to place the rights of women above the rights of fathers and their children. And in saying that abort, legal abortion has created fatherless, you know, widows and orphans, fatherless children, uh, it, it really is true. Now, many times the men are abdicating their role as fathers, probably in the majority of cases, according to some of the research that I've seen. But uh, widows are women who no longer have a man to help protect them and make their way in life. And if a woman wants a pregnancy and the father insists on an abortion, which happens way more often than you might imagine, what has that done but made her, in all practical measures, a widow? She's without help in the world to make her own way. So there is a great deal that the Bible has to say about how we as a church are to treat widows and orphans. And it has nothing to do with a personal agenda of you or me. This is God's will for his church. Furthermore, James one twenty seven tells us the religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All laws, you know, have a moral basis, right? I mean, what law or regulation is not based on some person's or group of person's conception of right and wrong? That's the whole point. So since all law is legislated morality, why should abortion be an exception? This idea that you can't legislate morality. If you change the law, all you're going to do is make it unsafe. People will not stop having it. But that's absurd. We would never say such a thing about, for example, bank robbery. People are still robbing banks, though it's illegal, but we would never say, let's just make it legal and then it will be safer. They won't have to use those guns when they break into the bank. I mean, it's absurd. It is. Uh, it has no basis in Scripture or a godly worldview to imagine that sanctioning something so evil would in some way make it acceptable. If you are a Christian, you live for God's approval, not the approval of humans. And despite our best efforts, people continue to sin, right, Pastor? I mean, you can preach all day, all all night, 24-7, and the next day your flock will show up sinning. It doesn't mean you, you failed, and it doesn't mean you stopped preaching. Proverbs says, to rescue those being led away to slaughter. I keep coming back to that verse on this program, as you know, if you listen regularly. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? So does not he who guards your life know it? We are accountable to God for this. Uh, sometimes a pastor will say, I can't afford for people to not like me or be uncomfortable around me. And I can, you know, on the face of it, that sounds um, a little bit self-serving, but I understand that, right? If you, you want to be, you want to maintain an open, neutral position so that anyone can come and talk with you about anything, right? I get that. But sometimes... The fear about addressing abortion or other controversial issues is as simple as that. It's, it's fear. 
And it's just as profound as that. A strong relationship with Christ, who is the source of all love and and a conviction that fidelity to him is the foundation for love between human beings, that's the key remedy for this fear. If people like you or don't like you, you can rest your mind easy at the end of the day if you have had fidelity to God's word and to teaching his precepts and principles to your people. Sometimes a pastor might say, well, I don't want to be or appear to be a single-issue pastor. Well, I mean, as pastors, you necessarily address a multitude of issues, and you have to be committed uh, to a consistent ethic of life. So numerically, abortion is one issue, but it is one issue like the foundation of a house is one part of a house. There's a hierarchy of moral values, and the dignity of life really is a fundamental one. And so it's not a single issue. It's one that people need to understand in its fullness. So it may require more than one sermon, more than one Sunday school class, more than one Bible study group. However, uh, you will reap the rewards of a congregation that is armed and equipped to go into our culture, which has really become a culture of death, and to be the salt and light that Christ has called us to be. I know a lot of pastors fear you know, the whole politics of it. I don't want to be seen as right wing, as fanatic. Uh, I don't want to be out of step with my flock. Boy, the minute I take a position, I'm going to alienate 50% of the congregation. You know, some people do use labels like fanatic and controversial to describe the pro-life movement. And pastors were not ordained or called to preach in order to belong to a faction. And this is very true, so I don't want to minimize that. But as you fulfill your call as a pastor or church leader to faithfully articulate the Bible's teachings, one of those fundamental teachings is the right to life. So if you have been called to shepherd God's people and to lead them, then you are called to help them see and practice this truth. And if your church gets labeled as, you know, ultra right wing, conservative, whatever the labels are of the moment, really, so what? If people can influence us by labels, isn't that a weakness on our part? I mean, it's certainly a weakness on their part. A label allows you to dismiss someone and not engage intellectually or think through or use logic or even employ your emotions to deal with an important question. No person or group within the Christian faith is exempt from the privileged duty to defend life. And nor does any group have a monopoly on the defense of life. So don't allow anybody to box you in with their labels. And uh, I sort of touched on this, but I have heard pastors say, as a man, I don't feel I have the right to address this issue. And I've already talked about how it's essential that men speak with men about abortion. Again, because fathers' rights have been completely negated for the last 50 years in our country. And so it's most certainly a men's issue. And furthermore, uh, our same government that would strip a man of those rights will compel a man to be financially responsible for a child he does not wish to parent. Women have a legal right to decide they do not wish to parent to the point of eliminating the child's life. If a man decides he wishes not to parent, the government will hound him for the money. That's where we are. So this is most certainly a man's issue. 
And uh, on an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about pro-life apologetics, and we'll address this one in more detail. But the bottom line is the taking of a human life, which is what abortion is, is a human issue. And addressing its injustice requires no qualifications other than being a decent human being. And if you're really sassy, you might tell someone who says that men can't speak about abortion to stop being so sexist. Uh, I don't think that I'm equipped to address the topic of abortion is an honest cry from the heart of many pastors. I don't think seminaries are doing much training on this, if any. And so it's understandable that pastors, church leaders, elders would not feel equipped. But our confidence will increase as we become more informed about the issue. Speak with other pastors who are active in the movement. Pray and practice. Start with Scott Klusendorf's book, The Case for Life. It'll tell you everything you need to know to feel equipped. You will be <laughs> equipped. Um, and maybe maybe you feel like you will give the issue the wrong emphasis, coming down too hard or fostering guilt or sounding uncaring. But you can counteract this uh, always by mentioning the help available to women in need and the peace and forgiveness available to us in Christ and that Christ offers in the gospel. And, you know, finally, a lot of pastors say, well, I honestly don't know why I shy away from the topic of abortion. So if you can admit that you've simply been complacent or maybe complicit or even apathetic, then a privileged moment of growth has arrived. (laughs) So you can become more familiar with the issue and connections and search your heart and ask God to show you uh, where he would have you to preach and to study on this issue and then move forward from there. And then, you know, as we're getting close to... uh, Closing this episode of Cradle My Heart Radio, and thank you so much for being with us. I'm Kim Catoli, your host. I, w- I do want to talk about, you know, those pastors who have concern for those individuals who have been touched by abortion or who have strong feelings on the topic. And a pastor may say, look, I don't want to drive anyone away who has had an abortion. I don't want to add to that hurt. Uh, and so preaching on it seems like it should just be off limits. But no. We preach on abortion to save women and men who are grieving and trapped in guilt after abortion and to protect, of course, others from making that same mistake. So uh, experts in post-abortion healing, by the way, tell us that it's absolutely essential that the women stop using the mechanisms of defense, such as denial, self-repression, and rationalization of abortion. And I can tell you, as someone who has walked that path, All those things are definitely going on in the life of someone who has not been uh, healed and forgiven and repentant, fully repented abortion. They deny that it impacted them in the ways that it has. They may even still deny that a life was taken. They may deny that it's impacting their relationships as they guard that secret so closely. And then they also, uh, the self-repression, they can't afford to grieve something. And it seems crazy to grieve what everyone told you wasn't a life. So you repress a lot of painful and sad emotions. And then after you, you know, weary of all of that emotional work, you rationalize and you say it's legal and it was the best that I could do. And I'm just going to put it behind me and move on with my life. And none of those things, it really is helpful. And so when we address abortion as church leaders 
it tells those who've been hurt by abortion that we care. It tells those guilty of the blood guilt of abortion that there is an answer for them. It tells those grieving the loss of a child through abortion that there's hope. Our silence, on the other hand, does not interpret itself. The fact that nothing is said about abortion may lead such a man or a woman to conclude one of three things. Uh, Number one, my pastor doesn't know about the pain associated with my abortion and with the pain that others may be experiencing as well. My pastor just doesn't get it. Or they may conclude my pastor knows my pain, but I guess he doesn't care. And finally, we can leave people to assume that my pastor knows and cares about my pain, but there's nothing he is suggesting to me that could help. There's no hope. Nothing can be done to heal it. And I know that you as a pastor who's taken the time to listen to this broadcast uh, are in a very different place than not caring or then feeling um, as if the problem has nothing to do with you. I know that you want to be able to be a helpful voice. And I know that you want to lead. I know that you want to lead on this issue. And so um, there's more to this article. And we may address some of them on a future broadcast, but I think it's a great starting point just to encourage you that if you've heard anything that reflects an attitude that you yourself have been engaging in, there are some very practical pathways to have a more effective messaging and witness around this critical question of abortion, really the preeminent moral crisis of our time. And I thank you so much for your uh, attention, and I pray that God will help you, equip you, and encourage you. We'll have it posted on the show notes uh, at cradlemyheart.org, where you can also find links to listen to our podcast uh, after the broadcast on Faith Talk 1360 in Phoenix. Kim Catola, thanks for being with us. See you next time. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.